Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Cafe podcast. This is season two and I'm your host, Beverly Roche. On this season, I'll have some exciting guests talking about their experiences in cybersecurity, along with a four-part series on scams and fraud. Looking forward to you joining me for this season. My incredibly supportive colleagues, Jonathan and Jason, thank you at CyberAware are supporting my production for the podcast for the next few series, which is really kind of them. Hey, go check out their next-gen security awareness training at cyberaware.com. Today on Cybersecurity Cafe, I'm going to be joined by Delia Rickard, Deputy Commissioner for the ACCC, who is responsible for Scamwatch. We are absolutely inundated with all sorts of variants of COVID-19 scams. Those cyber criminals are just seizing this opportunity to redefine themselves. And we're getting hit up by so many different scams. I've been bombarded by so many. And no matter how much of an expert you are, it's so hard to tell fact from fiction. So Delia is going to unpack some of those scams today for us. So let's go to the chat. Delia, Ricard, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today at such short notice. I really wanted to talk to you today about the COVID-19 scams in particular and the impact. Can You know, what a terrible time to be so opportunistic and take advantage of humans when they're already so vulnerable. Hi, Beverly. And look, you're absolutely right. There, there are no morals to these scammers and it is the worst of times to be taking advantage. But trust me, they're out there doing it. We've had well over 1,100 reports of scams. Literally in the last couple of weeks, most of them, we've around 140,000 reported lost to us. And again, we know that will just be the tip of the iceberg. And we're seeing all sorts of variations of scams in relation to COVID-19. Lots of them are phishing scams. So they're trying to get access to your personal details, including your bank account details, so that they can empty your accounts, commit fraud in your name. We're also really concerningly seeing scammers take advantage of the government initiative to allow people who are having a rough time, a difficult time financially, to gain early access to their superannuation with 10,000 this year and then another 10,000 next year. And for that to happen, it's being organised by the ATO. You can do it through MyGov. You don't need any assistance. It's all, you know, a simple process. But scammers are calling and saying, look, we can help you get access to that. They may be charging you money, but what they're really trying to do is to get access to your personal information, including the access details for your super, and to go in there and get that money for themselves and deprive the person who's already doing it hard of that money. So we really want to get the message out there to people that if you do find yourself lost a job, not able to pay your bills, and, and as a last resort, you want to access your superannuation. Go through MyGov. Do not accept any offers of help from somebody who contacts you out of the blue, whether by phone or through something you see on social media, etc. 
Um, now, we're also seeing a whole range of online shopping scams, which won't surprise you. We're seeing people sell vaccines, cures for COVID-19. Now, as we all know, unfortunately, there is no such thing. Wish that there were. We're also seeing really endless sales of face masks, hand sanitizer, alcohol wipes, often at very inflated prices. And to make it even worse, these goods then don't turn up. So that's another category. Lots of the scams we're seeing are traditional scams that they just put a COVID overlay onto. So one of the ones which seems to be turning up every day with some of the bigger losses is puppy scams. Now, I think lots of us have heard about people going online, seeing pictures of a gorgeous puppy, agreeing to buy it, might be a slightly better price than um, you'll get off a normal breeder or maybe it's just more easily available. And then not only do you pay a few thousand for this dog, then they'll ask for money for insurance and this and that. And now they're saying to people, well, with all the border closures as a result of COVID-19, you'll need to pay an extra 1000 2000 for us to be able to get the puppy to you. Um, another scam that's taking, adva- taking advantage of people being at home, losing their jobs, working from home with COVID-19, is a scam that's doing the rounds saying either their Netflix or Telstra could be another streaming service and saying, you know, help you through COVID-19, we'd like to give you three months worth of free streaming of Netflix. However, it's only available to Australians. And so that we can know that you're really Australian, we need to give this out your credit card and bank account details, because that way, that's our easy way of knowing with you of an Australian bank and it's legit or not. Of course it's not. We've also seen the scammers pretending to be Woolworths and Coles saying, as our part of the contribution to helping people through COVID-19, we'd like to give you a $250 gift card. Um, You click on those links. We suspect that they're downloading malware onto your computer and also they're asking for all sorts of personal information. This is just overwhelming. I mean, we've always dealt with scams what are we going to do to help people navigate their way through this? And I think the first thing we know from our previous podcasts with David Lacey, David said the most poignant thing, which is intelligence and scams. You know, the reality is we all fall for scams. We can all easily fall for any of those because they're so hard to distinguish, you know, what's real and what's not. We know we've got some things that we have to look for. What are you telling people, you know, we've talked previously about red flags, two red flags. Could I first of all completely agree with David on that point? The number of scams that have been reported to us that we've actually had to go to the authorities that were being impersonated and say, is this real or isn't it? Because it's just very hard to tell often. For me, anything that asks you to click on a link that, you didn't solicit. So no matter who they pretend to be, anything that says click on this link, I'd say avoid it. And anyone who's asking you for personal information, including banking details, but driver's license, anything at all, birthday, unless you absolutely 100% know the person and you initiated the conversation, I just wouldn't provide those details. They're so good at making it seem legitimate, easy, real, and those are two really important things to protect yourself. Yeah, I agree. And so I think they're the sort of three red flags, if you like. Don't click on links. Personal information, don't hand it over unless you initiated 
the call. And I think the third thing is anybody that eventually asks you for money, even if they start building a relationship with you initially, we know that it that it's a scam. So which one's popping up out of all that shopping list of scams, which I'm horrified to hear about, seems to be the most prevalent at the moment? I think the phishing scams in lots of different versions, they're all trying to get your personal information, your banking information, your superannuation information. Um, I must admit, normally when I have these conversations, I always start with don't hand over any money, you know, and particularly in romance scams, you may have to wait a long time. But what we're seeing more of than anything at the moment is people wanting your personal information so they can access your super, access your bank accounts, impersonate you. All three of those golden rules, don't have hand over money, don't click on links, don't hand over personal information. They are all incredibly true. And I guess we also have to remind people too, it's important to keep up to date anti-malware, spyware on your computer, have strong passwords, but that really only helps when the scam comes through that format. As often as not, it's a phone call these days, a text message, any form of communication they will use. And interesting, the phone call one, because us in the cyber security world used to kind of overlook these phone calls. We used to see them as something sort of separate. And and David Lacey really highlighted to us that these are all kind of scam breadcrumbs, getting pieces of information that can then be a greater piece of information that forms part of a bigger data breach. So even if to the individual it seems insignificant, I think it's really important that wherever possible they change their passwords straight away. You know, they hang up from these callers straight away before they start asking for more information. And your reporting service, how does the reporting service work? What we ask people to do if they've been exposed to a scam, whether they're a victim or not, is to go to scamwatch.gov.au and tell us about it. And we have 10 people who go through those reports every week so we can see what are the scams that are emerging, how are they how they being delivered, what are the lines, what's tricks, so that then we can go out and warn the public about them. And we also use that information to try and disrupt scams. So I'm, I might step back a step here. In terms of the ACCC's role, one part, a large part of it is really getting the message out about scams, how to identify them, how to avoid them, what to do if you've been scammed. But there's a, another big part in terms of disrupting the scams. Now, we know that most scammers are based overseas. Most scams originate overseas. It is incredibly expensive and difficult to follow up on those. It's the job of the police anyway, not us, to do that sort of work. And even if you arrest a scammer, There's a line waiting to replace them. This is big business. It's organised crime. It is so lucrative. There will always be someone to step in and take their place. So what the ACCC has been doing instead is to focus on two parts of disruption. One, to work with those organisations that make it easier for the scammer to reach their victims. So working with telecommunications companies, working with, um, in the old days, we did work with the, the mail service, working with social media. So to try and make it much harder for scammers to reach people in the first place 
and then working with those who send the money overseas, and in particular the banks. So we've done a lot of works recent years with the banks who are getting a lot better at identifying when money may be going to a scammer and stopping stopping that money from going. That's the sort of general role we see for ourselves, an education piece and using the data that we receive. And we quite often get good, rich data about, you know, bank accounts that money is being sent to, phone numbers that scam calls came from, etc. which then we can work with others in partnership to try and make it harder for scammers to reach you in the first place or for money to go to them. Wouldn't that be a fantastic solution if we had you know, more of corporate Australia? And that's what this podcast is trying to achieve. It, you know, we have about 19,500 cybersecurity professionals who all work for corporate Australia. And what we're really hoping is because of the size of this issue is becoming so great and it's straight off the bottom line, by the way, how much is it? The percentage of people who report to Scamwatch are just a very small percentage. And we, in fact, know that over a third of people who are victims of scams don't report to anyone, not to government, not to banks, not to anyone. But what we try to do each year now is to not just get the number, the losses reported to Scamwatch, but also the losses reported to the Australian Cybersecurity Centre, Fair Trading Agencies and other places, and to bring it all together. In 2018... We had nearly half a billion dollars reported loss. And for 2019, we're still finalising the number, but it's going to be well over half a billion reported loss. And when you think about the number of people who don't ever tell anyone, it's not just small losses we know from survey work we've done. Some of those losses which are not reported to anyone are significant. I personally feel confident saying, you know, it's well over a billion dollars that's lost by Australians to scams each year. And we will never recover that money. You know, we're one of five countries of choice, I understand. So we're, we're sort of rich pickings, aren't we, in that regard? I'd like to just talk about there is no real mechanism for people to recover this money. You know, ID care are fantastic at counselling and helping you deal with the devastating loss of, you know, a relationship scam or a a large investment scam as a support service. Excuse my ignorance, but is there any other way that we can recover these funds? Look, it is interesting. I used to always say that, you know, once it's gone, it's gone, you won't see it again. We are seeing the banks doing a lot more not just to stop scans but try and trace the money and get money back for people and they are having some success. I mean, it's still a lot less but they're having some success and they're getting better at it. But what we see with scammers, it's a bit like when the world cracked down on Western Union for sending scam money. People would go in, Western Union would say, no, they'd walk across the street to the banks and the banks said yes. Now the banks are getting better at recognising it. So scammers are asking to be paid in Bitcoin. They're asking me to be paid in gift cards. So whenever you think you're catching up to them, they in fact move on, which is really difficult. It is very rare to get money back. Where money has gone through a banking service, it sometimes happens that you can get it back. And the thing to remember is... The second you think you may have been a victim of a scam or you might have given away your banking details or your superannuation details, get in contact with the bank, get in contact with the super fund. There are some circumstances where banks are required to help. So 
where you've sent money to one of the companies which is on ASIC's companies not to deal with list, um, you've got a much better chance of getting your money back, but it's still going to be long and troublesome. So the best thing to do is to check lists like that on, on the Money Start website and avoid the whole process and the whole scam victimisation thing in the first place. The long trail of a scam when you unpack it, because that's going to happen in one of the next podcast series where I've got someone who's going to unpack the relationship scam and how it happened for them. You know, just when you think you've got a handle on how these things are working, they've changed the game and they've got a new method for payment or a new modus operandi. And it's really great that you highlighted that because I think this is not standing still and certainly what we've seen with COVID-19 and all these, you know, they're old ones but they're, they're a new style of scam. It's challenging for people to start trying to distinguish how, they, how that MO works, right? You've got a lot of things to share. What do you think are some other really important things that we need to tell people? I think we need to talk to people, particularly elderly relatives and friends, about the scams we're aware of that are happening. The ones which upset me the most personally are the romance scams because we see people devastated not just financially but also emotionally. We see suicides in this area. They absolutely destroy people's lives. And whilst at first they targeted people who were looking for love, who were on dating sites, um, we're seeing now them occurring quite randomly. So one of the places they like to hang out these days is words with friends. So people don't have their guard up. And I think it's worth, you know, all of us talking to, to, to our friends about how these scams work and the modus operandi of these scammers who are very patient and will seem like, you know, the, the perfect um, partner who respond to your values, buy gifts, share gifts, be incredibly attentive, be much more perfect than any partner ever is in real life, if the truth be told, Um, (laughs) but much less honest. They just destroy people's lives. So people have been thinking about this for a long time, how you you stop these scams occurring. I'm glad you're talking to Monica Whitty because she's done a lot of very good work on it. I think some of it's about loneliness, but Getting in early before somebody is completely and utterly head over heels in love I think is one important part of it. I've spoken to victims over the years who even once they realised it was a scam, they'd lost all their money, they've probably also borrowed from relatives and friends, not been able to pay them back, lost you know the support of family and friends, they will still say to me, it was the happiest time of my life. I wished it never ended. Um, And so I think the earlier we can talk with people who may, you know, might be clear that they've got some new love interest about how to, some of the telltale signs about whether or not something is a romance scam, whether it's by doing a Google um, search of, of the photo to see if it's been used elsewhere, some of those telltale signs and getting people to, to at least remain sceptical, I think that is something that 
we all have a responsibility to do, as well as talking just generally with older people about the scams going around. So, you know, the remote access scams, which are still incredibly successful. And, you know, I've had relatives who've listened to me bang on about this a hundred times over who've still fallen for them. It's And it's on every platform. You know, I had Ashton Kucha reach out to me <laughs> last week and tell he told me personally how he thought I was just absolutely gorgeous and then when I looked at <laughs> and, you are. and I looked at his followers and of course he's got three right so you know it's not the real Ashton Kutcher they've done some really clever little artwork and even for someone like me who looks at e-crime all the time there's those little other things that you have to double check. How do we position something that says to people, a vulnerable group, you know, looking for love, you know, too good to be true? Here's a checklist. We've been building cyber awareness programs inside corporations for years now, and they're getting some really good traction. And we want to make this one really get good traction within side society, you know, with society and within corporations, and really taking a higher profile than what it currently is. Because in our programs, we have scams, but they're usually about number five. We really want to move them up to the top and get everybody that's working in this new digital transformation age understanding what that looks like and how to early, that early detection that you talk about. I actually was chatting to someone recently who said, oh, why don't we make scams like a Me Too? Yeah, I like that idea. We create a site where you... Yes, you want a, the formal reporting, but we actually start building a Me Too-like campaign around it. Recently, I asked all my LinkedIn connections to ask their family and friends if they had someone that had fallen for a Bitcoin investment scam. Crickets, Delia, crickets. Not one person in that massive pond had anyone that I could talk to. And it's just this absolute humiliation about talking about it. That is exactly right. People are completely embarrassed. I was reading a report this morning of a oh, poor woman who got caught in a Bitcoin scam, lost an awful lot of money, husband divorced her. You know, lives are destroyed and people feel silly. And that's probably a polite term for it. Um, and so they don't want to talk about it. They're very private about it. Um, and I think the more people can see that this could happen to anyone and these scammers are professionals, it's not that you're come some kind of fool. When you see how good they are at doing what they do, it is quite easy often to understand how someone could become a victim of it. Absolutely. The investment scams, the Bitcoin scams that are going around at the moment, people are able to take out money early on. And so they think, wow, this really is because they put in a little bit. They thought, well, you know, who knows what this is? Maybe it's not legit. I can afford to lose this. And then they see it making money and then they go to take some out and they succeed in taking it out. So, of course, then they invest more. They, they play off human psychology so well, scammers. They get that we're becoming more suspicious. And so they find 
new and even more effective ways to, to build that trust with us. I saw one recently where it was one of the investment guys. They'd skimmed his profile. You've seen this Koshy one. They're just way too good to be true. And getting that, I think we've got a job here, and that is we're going to get everyone to get their heads together and start thinking about what what are early intervention strategies online. Maybe it's a pop-up. Who knows? But I think we have to start collectively working around how do we get this early message out about if it's too good to be true, it's a scam. You know, call it, just absolutely call it out. I'm 100% convinced that we also have to take action to stop them as well. So we need to be working with social media to make sure Facebook and Instagram, et cetera, get them much better at identifying scammers and getting them off the sites. Because I've done nothing but try and educate people about scams for years now, and as are many other people as well, and we're still following them. So it's an essential part of the solution. But it can't be the only part of the solution, I think. So the work that you're doing with the bank sounds like it's getting some really good traction and they've got a really good vested interest, obviously, um, but, you know, we really need them on board. As you said, take this issue to law enforcement who are already overwhelmed unless it's something significant of a significant amount and it's, and it's a big pyramid, it takes years to pull those gangs down, right? And it's a full-time job for these guys and girls. You know, the people down the bottom of the food chain work to a script. So they're just told and what to say and how to, how to conduct the scam. And I think that's, you know, if we understand more about that, we'll really understand where those touch points are about educating the broader community. What else can we do? Contact Scamwatch? We can contact Scamwatch. We can contact ID Care. We've given away our personal information. Well, we're also doing a lot of work with the telcos along with the Australian Communications and Media Authority, working with telcos to get them to do more to, to block scam calls, and we're having some success. I know Telstra has stopped many millions of calls as a result of us providing numbers to them, so that is fantastic. Um, we all need to be reporting not just to Scamwatch, but where we first met a scammer or contact with them on social media, reporting it to them. They are doing a better job. I know they are working on it, but look, I'll tell you one story that I heard the other day which just made me want to bang my head against the wall, but it just shows you how adaptive they are. So Facebook is getting better with facial recognition and things at identifying scammers. This was particularly in the context of celebrity scams, so people pretending to be Twiggy Forrest, et cetera, et cetera. So now with COVID-19, the scammers are still pretending to be those people but with a face mask, which makes the technology less able to, in fact, pick up on it. You shake your head at their ingenuity. Um, but we have to we have to keep all of the facilitators in this, even if they don't intend to be a facilitator, whether it's social media, whether it's the people who transfer the money, we have to keep them as part of the accountability chain because we all have a role in stopping these, I think. That's an absolutely fantastic closing statement. Do you regularly meet with social media? 
we we have a team who regularly meet with them. We are reporting scams to them all the time. Facebook has got a lot better. They're doing a good job taking things down. We're also doing work with um, with LinkedIn, with all sorts of um, social media platforms where we see scams. We let them know. Um, we hope they take them down. We, we sort of do, I guess, a bit of an education piece working with them about things to watch out for. So, yes, we regularly do it. Not I do it. I've talked to the occasion, but we've got a team of people who do this work and do a terrific job of it. And I met some of your people at the SIT Summit and they were just absolutely brilliant sharing all that you do for everyone in our community and just a massive thank you um, for that work. It's just been fantastic chatting to you. Delia, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for listening to the Cybersecurity Cafe podcast. You can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter or all the W's, cybersecuritycafe.com.au. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.